Yeah. Yeah, this is all new for me too, so. Wow. <laughs> We're all new. And question. Yes. Should we be just like staring, looking at each other? Yeah. Should we know the camera is there? <laughs> like You know what? I've looked at it before, so it's pretty informal, but it'll be like this. And I'm sure when you start talking, you'll kind of like look off while you're thinking about something. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. So, but we're not breaking the fourth wall. If you want to, you can. Like, don't worry about it. Be like, as like, if you happen to look over, like the other interview, I was like, oh, what time is it or whatever. So, okay. Yeah, that so way it's, it's less on your mind. Okay. So yeah. it's not a, it's not a thing. Yeah. One way or the other. Yes. So let's get started. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> all right. So, well, first of all, seriously, thank you so much for doing this. But like, like I mentioned to you when I first messaged you, like you came into our office, you're like speaking, t teaching us stuff and all that. I'm just like, who is this woman? Like, hopefully this is okay to say, but I feel like you're like quintessential, like corporate New York woman. Like who, you know, she's got the heels. She's, she's well-dressed. She's beautiful. She's smart. Like who is this person? And so truly like when you first came, I was like, um, like you're very poised, very eloquent. I'm like, what is your story? And of course, I'm sure you have a story, but um, I would love do. to know, yeah, where are you from? And like, yeah. just a little bit of your background, just to get to know you. Yeah, well, thank you so much. That's <laughs> incredibly high praise. Yeah. Uh, I've loved getting to know you. And the couple of times yeah. we've interacted and mm -hmm. I'm really thrilled to be here. Um, but who am I? So I grew up in Massachusetts mm -hmm. and I have, Luckily, both my parents, very fortunate, and I have an older sister, mm -hmm. younger brother. So mm -hmm. I am middle child. Mm -hmm. um, I lived my entire life in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. a little bit north of Boston, went to high school. I went to a private high school, mm -hmm. but I was a day student, so I've stayed very, very close to my family. What's a day student? So I went to a school called uh, Phillips Academy Andover, and mm -hmm. it is a private boarding school. Mm -hmm. And so about 80% of the students lived there full time. Oh, I see. And I lived at home mm -hmm. and then just went there during the day, okay. which offered amazing benefits, mm -hmm. but also was more difficult to kind of build connections earlier on mm -hmm. because folks were living in the dorms. Right. It's as if you were going to college mm -hmm. and you chose very first year from day one to live mm -hmm. off campus. Mm -hmm. So it's just a little bit different. But wanted to stay home, did not want to go to a live away boarding school mm -hmm. myself. So it was mm -hmm. a great opportunity for me. And then I went to school for college in Boston. Okay. So I always stayed very close to my family. Mm. And that's always been incredibly important yeah. to me. And in fact, I spent most of the pandemic living at my childhood oh, home okay. with my parents, mm -hmm. which went amazing really? like i'm biased i think my parents are great yeah but having that adult more peer relationship mm. was really interesting yeah like is, is that a recent change you notice yes mm -hmm. well i think i think it's happened over time yeah but it was much more apparent when we spent that dedicated mm -hmm. period together. Mm -hmm. I went there with my boyfriend mm -hmm. who handled being with my parents beautifully. <laughs> He's a <I'm>, keeper. <laughs> yes, I agree. Uh, he and I went up there end of March, mm -hmm. 2020, right when things were really heating up. Mm -hmm. And 
just it I noticed just the conversations we were having were mm. much more kind of peer relationship mm. um, kind of understanding more what was going on in their lives and just mm. being present for all of it even yeah. though there wasn't much like extra outside life going sure, on being yeah. in the house together I think mm -hmm. it was really interesting to see that all come to life mm -hmm. and I've really enjoyed that peer yeah. relationship and my, how did it feel to have that change because that that's a big change yeah um, and I feel like that is a sign of adulthood when you kind of can start well for one for the kid to see your parents as like people and no longer your parents and then yeah. vice versa like what how did that feel for you it felt really natural mm -hmm. I would say throughout my life I mean I have a really healthy respect for my parents mm -hmm. but I've also never been no I was never a rebel like mm -hmm. very straight and narrow as a middle child I, I know I'm not <laughs> Maybe within my family structure, yeah. I'm a quintessential middle child. Okay. <laughs> like I threw a temper tantrum in my day, mm -hmm. but I think in kind of the grand scheme of mm -hmm. middle childdom, mm -hmm. I am not mm -hmm. a quintessential middle child perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it just, it felt really natural. But mm -hmm. like I said, I have really healthy respect for my parents. Mm -hmm. And I think they've always really respected their children's autonomy. Yeah who we are as individuals and let our relationship build very organically. Mm. I talk to my parents almost every day, mm. but I don't feel that it's an overbearing relationship. Mm -hmm. It's something that kind of we both have, or all three of us yeah. have bought into yeah. and are like, we want to be here. We want to have mm -hmm. this relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think I actually read an article. I'm going to say it was in the New York times, but it might be, mm -hmm. that might be wrong. Mm -hmm that particularly with maternal happiness, so like a mother's happiness mm -hmm. starts to shift as their, her children or their children become older. Mm. And it matter, like a major factor is whether the children take interest in the mother's life. Oh. Whether it's not just, hey mom, like listen to everything happening with me, yeah. but rather, hey mom, like what's going on with you? Mm. And so that's something that's always, I think, been pretty organic mm -hmm. in my relationship mm -hmm. with my parents. Yeah. Um, and I think that matters with fathers as well. Sure, yeah. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, it's been a really nice shift mm -hmm. uh, and a really natural one. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. Yeah. So for college, um, where did you, or like, what did you study in school? So I studied social anthropology. Okay, with what a, is that? <laughs> the study of different cultures and people, mm. how they live, mm -hmm. and how they create community and meaning in their oh, lives. Wow. What drew you to that subject? So a couple of things. I knew I, I went to college and I thought I wanted to be pre-med. Mm. And so I took this science class and they it was basically a combination of biology and chemistry, mm -hmm. but it was a brand new course. Mm -hmm. And so they taught bio and chem through example. Mm -hmm. And then, so it was through HIV. Mm -hmm. I remember the very first semester. Mm -hmm. And then I got to the test and I was like, I know everything about HIV. <laughs> I am a genius mm -hmm. scientist. <laughs> and then they tested me on like the basic scientific principles. And mm -hmm. I was like, I. I don't know this. <laughs> I know about HIV. Right, right. And so I did very poorly. <laughs> I also, 
so I had started my pre-med requirements. Mm -hmm. I also took math, and mm -hmm. math is part of pre-med too. Mm -hmm. And just, I had taken uh, calculus in high school, had done well, mm -hmm. and then you have to take a placement test when I got to college, mm -hmm. took it, kind of placed behind where I thought mm -hmm. I was. Mm -hmm. But I was like, no, it's just the summer rust. I will <laughs> forge ahead and be confident here. And I shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. know your limitations. Mm -hmm. That was a really good lesson. Mm -hmm. Probably should drop the course. Mm -hmm. Didn't continue through. Anyway, that first semester was crushing. Mm. And so I was like, I don't know what I want to do. Mm. Clearly, I want to steer away from the sciences. And I had taken a couple of courses around uh, that were really focused on kind of like analytical reading mm -hmm. and working on my writing skills. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't want to be an English major. That's what my sister did. Yeah. And I was like, but, and I don't really want to be history because I hear mm -hmm. that is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. What can I do that's really interesting? And I took an Anthro 101 class mm -hmm. and the professor was incredibly compelling mm. and Married with that, I had grown up my entire life hearing stories from my grandmother, my mom's mom. Mm -hmm. And she would tell us about her life living overseas. Mm. My grandfather was in the Foreign Service. Okay. And in 1955, she and my grandfather moved to uh, Tripoli, Libya mm. with my mom, who was one, mm -hmm. and her two older siblings. Mm. And then my grandmother had a fourth child while they were there. Mm -hmm. And, so, and from there, they went to they were Libya, Ethiopia, Ghana. What were they doing? Indonesia. In uh, so it was my grandfather's foreign service work. He oh, was okay. part of, I believe, USAID. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, Granny, if I got that wrong. <laughs> uh, so I would hear all these stories mm -hmm. in these different cultures. And I was like, this sounds like a great way mm -hmm. to step into another world. Mm -hmm. And so I loved that you could learn about other cultures while still developing my kind of analytical thinking, analytical reading, mm -hmm. and writing skills. Yeah. You know, so. but when you were pursuing pre-med and then you decided to make this pivot, did, was there any like, because um, there's one thing of like, I don't, I, maybe this is not what I wanted to do, but like, it, from what you're already telling me so far, you seem like a pretty like resilient, I'm going to make it happen by whatever means necessary. Like, um, was there like self-doubt in yourself of like, am I just like not cut out? Like, am I not as smart as I thought I was? Or like, what went through your head? Very much so. Mm. And I am, so I am what I call situationally confident. Okay. Um, <laughs> Please elaborate. So, well, I, uh, so I'll, I'll answer the question first sure. about the, the science and math. Mm -hmm. um, totally, it just knocked my confidence. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't in a place where I felt confident. I mean, I was clearly confident enough to put myself in those situations, mm -hmm. to enter myself into a math class mm -hmm. that I had no business being in. Mm -hmm. And I think it was less like, I'm gonna do this, mm -hmm. than pride that kept me there mm. and like not wanting to admit that like maybe I couldn't hack it. Right. And so, like definitely did not have confidence. Mm -hmm. Like I had academic confidence. I believed that I should be there, mm -hmm. but I was like, no, maybe just math and science aren't for me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have the wherewithal yet to go to my professors and mm -hmm. get the help I needed. Mm -hmm. This actually reminds me, sometimes I forget this because I try to block it out. Mm -hmm. So I was an athlete 
in mm. college, and that's a major part of my identity. Mm. What sport? And I was a rower oh. in college. Oh, wow. And I had reached out to a professor for help, and I'd gotten a lot of pushback because I couldn't attend office hours mm. because my rowing practice mm -hmm. was during that time. Mm -hmm. And so kind of that being shut down at my first outreach yeah kind of shut me down mm. for the rest of my experience mm -hmm. in those classes. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that was a real turning point for my confidence there. Yeah. It could have gone one way or the other if she had said, you know what, like, let's figure something out. Can, you, can we shift your practice or you skip a day or we'll find extra time for you to come mm -hmm. outside of office hours? Mm -hmm. Could have been transformational, mm -hmm. but unfortunately, it didn't go that way. Yeah, yeah. So, so rowing. Okay. So I don't know much about rowing except it's super intense. I also do love rowing at the gym, yes. but <laughs> being a student athlete, I know that takes hours. Like, I mean, like, like a full-time job, probably like overtime involved. Um, what is like, what is the world of rowing like yeah. culture? Um, so what is the world of rowing like? <laughs> so I started rowing, I was an athlete my whole life mm -hmm. and my primary sport growing up was swimming. Mm -hmm. But uh, my, I'd always heard about rowing because my parents were both high level mm -hmm. rowers. My uncle was an Olympic rower. So it's kind of in the blood. Mm -hmm. And I started rowing my senior year of high school mm. and then continued on through college. And I personally love rowing because it is a very individual sport, mm -hmm. but also like the ultimate team sport. Mm. So I've always done really well in sports where like I have to rely on me. Mm -hmm. I know mm -hmm. that like if I do the training, if I put myself on the line, like all I have to do is perform. Mm -hmm. I don't have to let anyone out, like the soccer. Right. If I miss a shot or something, I'm letting the team down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If I don't perform on a given day, mm -hmm. I'm letting myself down. Mm -hmm. And like, I can handle that and I can do that right. kind of work. But so rowing has that and that like you're sitting in your own seat in the boat, like your job is to pull as hard as you can mm -hmm. while maintaining form. Mm -hmm. But you're doing that in perfect synchrony with right. seven other women. Right. And it's an incredibly powerful feeling. Um, everyone who is a rower on my team is just incredibly motivated. And we happen to have some incredibly academically gifted people on the mm -hmm. team. Mm -hmm. So I just think it was the type of personality of, it, it was 20, 25 hours a week yeah. of it's not a game. Yeah. It's like, we were just going to train really hard right. and do the same repetitive motion yeah. for hours and hours. It takes a very, I think, specific mindset to do, to do that. Mm -hmm. um, what is that but, person up front saying? Oh, <laughs> the coxswain? Yeah, okay. So <laughs> funny enough, um, my best friends on the team mm. and from college all ended up being coxswains. Oh, okay. I'm not sure why. We were always funny pairs because I'm 5'10 and would uh -huh. be walking around and they're all about five feet tall. Um, <laughs> but their job is to coach in the boat. Okay. Dur so during practice, their job is to coach in the boat. They give us the workout. They help us hit whatever stroke rate. So how many strokes a minute, mm -hmm. make sure that we are kind of going at the correct effort level. They also steer the boat. So mm -hmm. safety. 
And then come race situation and, and harder practice pieces, it's motivation. Okay. How do you, how can you get the most out of us yeah. to kind of do what we need to do? Mm -hmm. And the best coxswains understand not just how to motivate the kind of boat and mm -hmm. yell at us to go harder, mm -hmm. but understand for each of the eight women in the boat, mm -hmm. kind of what specific triggers mm -hmm. will get them to lock in and do what they need to do. It yeah. might be a word, mm -hmm. it might be a phrase, it might be calling a specific move. And a move is like the most common thing people will hear about rowing is a power 10, mm -hmm. 10 hard strokes. Mm -hmm. So some people get really amped up for that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But, and often they're like a team psychologist. Mm. So, what so an interesting role because it's like, on what sport do you have someone dedicated to just motivating you while you're performing? You I know. know. If I had that, that'd be awesome. But it is, yeah. it is pretty amazing. Sometimes during really hard practices, when it's 40 degrees and raining and we're out there and it's dark mm -hmm. after daylight savings, mm -hmm. you kind of hate them mm -hmm. because they're like, we're not done yet. We mm -hmm. have to keep going. Like mm -hmm. you have to go harder. Right. It's, it's hard. Mm -hmm. um, do they need they rowing experience? Like, do they need to row themselves? No, no. They just need to be like good as a motivational coach. Yeah. And understand the technique gotcha. and ultimately what they learn is boat feel. So they know what a good, uh, when a boat is running well, ah. as people say, mm -hmm. they know what that feels like. Mm -hmm and will be able to feel when something is off or people are throwing their weight around in the boat too much. Mm -hmm. So they end up having really good feel for yeah. what good rowing is mm -hmm. and they're able to coach around that too. Mm. They don't necessarily have to know what like the actual act of rowing feels like. So is there a coach, great. like an overall coach? There, there is, is too. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. So how did those two roles interact with each other? So the coach, I don't need to go into the whole oh, rowing oh thing. But I love <laughs> rowing. I love rowing. Um, and I still watching the Olympics. We'll mm -hmm. touch on that for a second. One of the women I rode with was just in the women's oh, Olympic cool. eight. Wow! I know a woman who won a gold medal in London. Mm -hmm. She was also on my team. So. I love rowing. It's yeah. still, I'll watch and I'm like, oh, I could still do this. I, awesome. I can't. Yeah. But that's okay. <laughs> My mom likes to think I can't. Yeah. She's like, if you just trained up, yeah. maybe you can do it. I'm like, I don't think so anymore, but thank you. Um, so the coach overall, I mean, and I was lucky to have an amazing coach. Her name was also Liz, mm -hmm. so clearly she was great. <laughs> but she, her job is to kind of set the vision of the team. Mm -hmm understand, okay, what is the training arc that we need to go through to be ready for whatever competitions, mm -hmm. putting together the daily practices. Her job is also to identify the best rowers. Mm -hmm. So we always have like the top varsity eight. Mm -hmm. And so her job is to select the boat that mm -hmm. will gel the best together, move the best together, mm -hmm. be the fastest. Um, and ultimately like, her voice is number one. She kind of passes it all to the coxswain mm -hmm. to then activate it on the I water. See. So she's strategy, mm -hmm. and then the coxswain is activation. Gotcha. So side note, do you have a rower at home? Like a row machine? Oh, so I do, I own one. Okay. It is at my parents' house okay. because it doesn't fit in my apartment. <laughs> 
Also, I've shifted away from rowing. Mm. Like if I lived in Boston or mm -hmm. Philadelphia or somewhere where it was easy to access getting out on the water, uh -huh. I think I would still be rowing right now and I'll probably get back to it at mm -hmm. some point. But it is, it's painful. Mm -hmm. So I'm very impressed that you use the <laughs> rowing machine, but it's hard to know and the rowing machine will give you like the number, whatever yeah. split you're, you're rowing, how mm -hmm. fast you're going right in front of your face. Right. And I know what I used to be able to do. Um, and so yeah. it can be a little deflating. Right, right. Too. Well, I was going to ask you, what's a good row machine? Because now they're kind of blowing up a little bit. Yes. They have all these celebrity sponsorships and stuff. Yeah, so the classic OG is the Concept 2. Okay. Yeah. Right. No frills, like no fancy video screen, mm -hmm. nothing. Um, and I'm going to forget the name. There's another uh, rower out there that came out recently. Hydro. Yeah. Hydro. Hydro. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well done. <laughs> and. That, I would say, is the kind of one on the rise. Mm -hmm. And it actually came out, the, the person who started that company or kind of developed that rower came out of a boathouse called Community Rowing mm -hmm. up in Boston. Mm -hmm. My brother happens to be a coach mm -hmm. there, so he knows that crew. Mm -hmm. And the instructors that are on the videos, mm -hmm. he knows a lot of oh, them. Cool. So awesome. I and haven't tried it myself, though. Deeply connected to the rowing community. Yes, it's a small community. Yeah. So social anthropology, yes. um, that's what it is, right? Yes. <laughs> like, um, so did you know what, how you wanted to apply that like down the road into your career? I had no idea. Okay. Um, a lot of people who go into that concentration or major will take do a, a study abroad mm -hmm. and do some anthropological research. Mm -hmm. I chose not to do that because mm -hmm. of the rowing team and mm -hmm. my commitments there. So didn't do that. But I used it again, and I think a lot of the kind of more liberal arts uh, concentrations. The value is it teaches you how to think, it mm. teaches you how to communicate really well, mm -hmm. put together an argument, think really critically. So I knew I would use it that way, mm -hmm. but beyond that, mm -hmm. I had no idea. Like I gotcha. knew I wasn't going to go on and get a higher level degree in mm -hmm. it, but I really enjoyed the subject matter. Gotcha. So, so um, do you mind just like sharing how you went from college to where you are now? Because I mean, now what I mean, what I only know of you is you know working with like partnerships at LinkedIn. Yeah. But um, like, I also glanced at your LinkedIn profile, <laughs> and that intrigued me. In addition, because it it was it's not a linear path, and I was like, there's yeah. got to be a story behind why you went from job to job. Like, so. yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I came out of college. Wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I thought about actually continuing rowing mm -hmm. and going out for the national team there. I'm very prone to injury though, mm -hmm. so I was like, my. Is there I'm money not... to be made there? No, zero. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, zero money. It okay. is a amateur sport mm -hmm. at its, in its most pure form. Mm -hmm. So the women and men that go do that, like mm. it is super impressive and they'll mm. stay with it for years doing kind of side jobs. So, but yeah, there's zero money to be made there. Mm -hmm. um, but I chose not to go that path uh, for whether it was the right choice or not, mm. who knows. Um, and I got a job kind of through some connections at a wound management company, okay. a company that made uh, bandages, mm -hmm 
for this is a great conversation topic, like diabetic foot ulcers, okay. surgical mm -hmm. wounds. Yeah. You didn't think it would go here, did you? <laughs> no. um, and it was it's a company that had recently divested from like one of the big brands. Like a Johnson & Johnson type yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I worked there as a junior market analyst okay. and basically just did whatever anyone needed me to do. Mm -hmm. But the company was so new mm -hmm and kind of understaffed in so many areas. So there was a lot of need for things to be done, but no one to teach me anything. I knew mm -hmm. nothing about the industry. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was a really challenging place to be. Mm. Um, and so Do you remember I, what you were feeling or thinking at that time of your life? I felt... Um, extremely lost, mm. I would say, because mm -hmm. also at the same time, I had a boyfriend in college mm -hmm. who was from Canada. He had gone back to Canada. Mm -hmm. He was applying to, to medical school. Mm -hmm. And so we were doing distance. There were some um, kind of challenges there and sure. kind of my deciding to stay in Boston for the time being and do this job. And then the job ended up being like a real dud. Yeah. And... So I felt really conflicted there. And I was like, I chose to be here, but this is terrible. Mm. I'm not learning anything. Like no one will help me. I'm, I'm asking everyone if I can help them with their projects mm -hmm. and I'm getting nothing in return. Mm -hmm. And so it ultimately, I only stayed there for about six months. Mm -hmm. So it, it was a, um, I felt a lot like a failure, mm. but I think there's, I mean, I've listened to so many podcasts being like, fail fast. Yeah. It's okay. Right. Like move on. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately that was the right choice for me because I was incredibly unhappy. I felt really unfulfilled, like mm -hmm. no purpose. Mm -hmm. And I did end up going to Canada for six months mm -hmm. where I continued my rowing career, mm -hmm. did some volunteer stuff mm -hmm. and started to kind of figure out what to do next. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what helped you in that period of time to like keep pushing forward? I mean, my parents were incredible. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of why I am where I am, I think, is because of my incredibly strong family structure. Mm -hmm. And like my mom in particular, she's certainly not one for quitting. Mm -hmm. She's like, you will keep going. Like you signed up for this. Like mm -hmm. you have to see it through. Mm -hmm. But she saw how unhappy I was. Mm -hmm. And like when I just chatted with a financial advisor, trying to learn a lot more about the financial world uh, for my own purposes. And there's a lot of talk when you're young, you should be riskier. Like mm. your risk profile should be greater because right. you have time to make it up if yep. something bad happens. So as you grow older, you have to be slightly more conservative. And so it was kind of that, like, you know what? I'm 22 years old. Mm -hmm it'll be okay. Yeah. I'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. Like this is not so bad that like a six month blip on my resume will mean anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think like my parents ultimately were really supportive there and just, they were like, let's just move on. Like do something mm. like get yourself to a better place and then you'll be able to think really clearly mm. about advice. what you want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and now I can't say that that was necessarily the case, mm. but a little serendipity. Um, my boyfriend ended up getting into med school at Columbia. Mm -hmm. So that 
kind of was the impetus for the move to New York. And I thought I would try education as a career path. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not necessarily a teacher, but working in the education space. My sister is a teacher. A lot of my cousins are teachers. Mm -hmm. So it's it's in the family. And I was Mm -hmm. like, well, my sister and I are similar. Like Mm -hmm. maybe maybe this is my missed calling. And so I had a lot of informational interviews at various private schools to see if I could work in their admissions department, communications departments, some nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And I ended up getting a call back from a nonprofit Mm -hmm. that worked with underprivileged students moving into high school. Mm. And one of their... um, one of their employees was going out on maternity leave and they wanted a backfill. And I was like, you know what? I'll take it mm-hmm. because it gives me more time to figure out what I want to do. Mm. That job ended up being turned into a full-time job, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And so I worked in the nonprofit education space mm. for the next three years. Oh, wow. And it was, it was great. There were, it was a very small office, 11 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started out doing kind of marketing communications Mm -hmm. and I was the very first person in that type of role. Mm -hmm. So I like helped create the website. Mm -hmm. I wrote their kind of annual report. I did a lot of donor communications, things like that. Then I ended up going into Mm developments, which is getting donations basically, which is ultimately a sales role. But by the end of the three years, two and a half, three years, I just realized there wasn't really, there wasn't much more room Mm. to grow. Mm -hmm. I'd like been in the roles that were available. Mm -hmm. The company, the nonprofit wasn't going to get any bigger. So I started to look outwards, had no idea where to go, Mm. no clue. And again, kind of serendipity stepped in. I, I mentioned my grandmother earlier. My grandmother lives in New York mm. and she is now 96 wow. and like still moving and shaking, mm-hmm. has a better social life than I do. <laughs> but I went to a benefit dinner mm-hmm. and sat at a table with her and there was this man sitting next to her and my grandmother, I, in normal times, I would see her every week for drinks and dinner with my sister and my cousin. Also that you're doing drinks and dinner with your grandma. That's we so call cool. it Thursdays with Granny. We had it. so much fun. <laughs> but she knew about my kind of job search mm. and she was chatting with this guy. And he was like, you know what? Like, I love working with people on their resumes mm. and like career hunts. Like, bring her over here. I want to talk to her. Mm-hmm. This guy's name is Steve. He's kind of in his 50s, 60s. Um, Steve, if I got your age wrong, sorry. (laughs) You know, some people are kind of like an amorphous age. Yeah, totally. But he wanted to... He's really like 80 years old. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But he kind of was a lifeline for me. Mm. And one of these people that when I look back on my life, he will have been one of the major players Mm. who kind of helped me get myself on the path I am now in a number of ways. But I started chatting with him, worked with him on my resume. And I mean, for better or worse, he thought I was great. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he gave me a lot of confidence Mm. to go after jobs that I 
had not considered for myself before. Mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. looking at like communications roles mm -hmm. at higher education mm -hmm. um, and thinking I needed to stay in the education space. Gotcha. And he, he, to his credit, I was looking for jobs on LinkedIn and he was like, you know what? You should work at LinkedIn. That mm. company is doing quite well. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I actually know someone who knows the head legal counsel at LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, like, I don't know anything about the jobs at LinkedIn, but mm -hmm. I'll look. And mm -hmm. he was like, here's what you do. You kind of go find the most entry-level job that seems really interesting, okay. and then let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so he, he was very much of the belief that is very true. You do not need all the qualifications oh, mm -hmm. to apply for a job. Mm -hmm. And I fall into the trap of like, oh, no, I need to be like way better than totally. what they want yeah. to get yeah. this. So... Kind of long story short, I end up applying for the first job at LinkedIn. I get an interview because I get my resume seen, which is fantastic. And they're like, you know, we like you, but this is not the role for you. Mm. And I will say getting my job at LinkedIn was like one of my greatest accomplishments mm. for two reasons. One, I didn't give up. Mm -hmm. So I think Liz, a couple years before that experience, would have said, ooh, yeah, no, they don't like me. He's lying. The recruiting manager is lying, saying they want to keep in touch. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to kind of go away and mm -hmm. try something else. Mm -hmm. But I didn't think that. Like, mm -hmm. I continued to communicate with the hiring manager. I would send him jobs, like new jobs that I thought were interesting for mm -hmm. me at LinkedIn. Uh, and then the other reason I think that was like a huge accomplishment is I owned my story mm -hmm. in a like really new way. And I credit Steve mm -hmm. for this. He helped me understand kind of the power of what I had done in my previous roles, like the skills and unique qualities that come out of being a student athlete, mm -hmm. um, kind of what I had done, like things that at the education nonprofit where I was really a self-starter, but mm -hmm. I would think of it as to myself as like, oh, anyone could have done this. He's like, but they didn't. Right. So own it, mm -hmm. like be your own self-advocate mm -hmm. and like be your own best cheerleader. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this, oh, okay. Yeah. And kind of side story here, I remember during this process, I was still interviewing a couple other places. And I had an interview at a higher ed institution in their communications office. And he was asking me questions, the hiring manager. And I kept saying, oh, and we did X or we accomplished Y project. And he stopped me. He was like, who's we? Did you do it mm -hmm. or did other people do it? Mm. And it was a real aha moment for me being like, oh, I did it. Mm. Like, it's okay for me to own the fact that, like, I did that. Right. And I don't have to give credit to other people that mm -hmm. didn't kind of deserve the credit because they didn't do what, it. But isn't that what they kind of, like, teach you to do, too, which is, like, use language like we and us for more of that like collegial, oh, I guess you're interviewing, so it's really about you, but. Yeah, and I, I do think that there's a balance there between the we, and I mm -hmm. think one of my um, kind of qualities, I think as a colleague, is I'm 
a team player. Yeah. Like I really believe in giving people credit where it's due mm -hmm. and being incredibly collaborative because you cannot do it on your own. Yeah. But also I think it's really important to own what you have done right. and not discount it. Mm -hmm. And I think historically I have discounted what I've done mm -hmm. and not taken full credit and like been okay taking mm -hmm. full credits. It's not being boastful. Right. It's kind of owning what you've done and yeah. it's okay to be proud of it and mm -hmm. it's okay to talk about it. So I thought that was really interesting and that probably shaped how I finished off some mm. of my interviews at LinkedIn. But ultimately this job at LinkedIn opened up. That was a brand new job. No one had held the role before. It was to support a brand new product that was launching. They needed someone to like come up with best practices and help customers mm -hmm. make the best use out of it. Yeah. They're like, we think this could be good for you. So I interviewed and I got the job and I was so excited. <laughs> uh, and I started in 2013, mm. so that was eight and a half wow. years ago. And I've been there ever since, That's but amazing. I've changed jobs three times there. Okay. So I've always been in LinkedIn's marketing solutions mm -hmm. line of business, so ad sales. And, but I started an operations role I kind of got an opportunity. It was floated to me that, hey, like maybe you want to go into an account manager role, mm -hmm. which is much more pure ad sales. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? Like maybe I should try this. Like mm -hmm. I'm not a natural salesperson, mm -hmm. but I will, I'll give this a go. Mm -hmm. And it was great. It was really challenging. Mm -hmm. um, but I did that for three years, I think. And then this partnerships opportunity came up. Mm. LinkedIn had had a partnerships person, yeah. like single person for a few years. Mm -hmm. And he and I started at LinkedIn at the same time. And he came to me, he was like, Liz, like we're finally gonna prioritize like our channel team partnerships. Do you have any interest in doing this? Like mm. I really think knowing what you've done, mm -hmm. I think you'd be good for this. Yeah. And I was very hesitant because the team did not have, well, not, it's not him. It was just partners did not have the best reputation mm. at LinkedIn. It was like a third cook in the kitchen. We already had the LinkedIn rep and the client. Why do we need someone else like right. muddying the waters? But I saw it after learning more about kind of partnerships and what that meant at organizations for like at Facebook and Twitter mm -hmm. and Google and places like that, I was like, oh, this is really a career path. Cause mm. I didn't see myself continuing on to become an account executive in right. sales. I wanted something more cross-functional. I loved the idea of like building something again mm. and being kind of an early, even though it had been around for a bit, we were going to transform what mm -hmm. this partnerships org mm -hmm. looked like. And so I thought it was a really cool opportunity mm. and I've been doing it now for the last four years. That's amazing. And you know, I'm, I, I'm curious to learn about like what it's been like for you to navigate like uh, corporate life in New York, because um, I, you know, I mean, I think everyone knows it's like, it's a beast in itself and, and especially for like, just as a woman being in corporate, like, what are some of your experiences like, I guess, just even the past decade of your life and, you know, being in the role that you're in and in partnerships, you're 
you're you're interfacing with so many different companies, so many executives. Like, what's your experience been like? I would say overwhelmingly very good. Mm -hmm. um, and I think my experience. I hope is not unique, mm -hmm. but I think it kind of is. Mm -hmm. um, one, I'm part of a team now at LinkedIn, and I've had amazing teams at LinkedIn, but I'm part of a team now that is incredibly diverse mm -hmm. in kind of every aspect of the word, and that values who each individual mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. And so I've particularly over the past uh, for the past eight years being at LinkedIn and really concentrated in the last four, I've really come into my own in like just being myself wherever I am, mm. whatever situation I'm in, just to be consistent in who I am. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that has served me really well. Mm -hmm. And I don't try to be something I'm not, like I am never gonna be a super serious businesswoman. Mm -hmm. I like to inject a little humor. Mm -hmm. I like to um, like bring a lightness mm -hmm. and a fun mm -hmm. to things that I'm doing. And I have been told that it can discredit sometimes mm. what I try to do. So I've had to learn, I've never been like a stand-up comedian in a meeting, <laughs> but I, I've learned how to read the people I'm in a room with yep. and most of the my kind of counterparts at other companies mm -hmm. are male mm -hmm. uh, I mean in tech it's overwhelmingly male yep. mm -hmm. and so learn how to read them and just walk into every room like fully believing I'm their equal mm -hmm. otherwise like I've had people try to walk over me sure and sometimes I've needed to like my I'm highly non-confrontational by nature mm -hmm. And luckily I haven't had to have much confrontation in my job, but sometimes I've had to go back to uh, my managers in this role. Both of them have been female, which mm. is amazing. Mm -hmm. And be like, how do I handle this? Mm. Like basically pump me up mm -hmm. to like meet them at their level mm -hmm. so that they don't like think they can just win yeah. because like I'm a woman. Right. And it's worked every time. Mm -hmm. If I come go back and I'm always incredibly pragmatic, mm -hmm. I think I take accountability if, if things, if I do anything wrong, but I've been really thoughtful about like not letting anyone run over mm -hmm. me. And there, I've been met with respect. Is there a story or an experience that comes to mind that reaffirms this value or like, hey, like I need to stay true to myself because Maybe there was a time you didn't and like it didn't work out well, or is there something that comes to mind in that regard? You know, something's not, I'm not, I'm struggling to come up with something in the moment mm -hmm. here, mm -hmm. but I know that like I have had the most success and felt most like powerful and had the most ownership over my work mm -hmm. when I feel like I have stood up for myself mm. and been myself yeah. in my role. Mm -hmm. Because like when I started at LinkedIn, I like I was not I didn't feel like I belonged, mm. I guess. I was like, ooh, like 
I tricked them into giving me this job <laughs> and now I can't let anyone know. Yeah. And so I would act out, I would like perform confidence mm -hmm. and it's great because the job had never been done by anyone else, mm -hmm. the first job at LinkedIn, so no one knew what yeah. should have been done, right. so it worked. Mm -hmm. But as I've kind of grown in the role, the like, and when I became an account manager, I stepped up, but I still felt rather than being a partner to my account executive, because account managers are paired with account executives, mm -hmm. I felt like I worked for him mm. rather than being his equal. Mm. And I felt like I was always like reacting mm -hmm. and didn't really own my work. And mm -hmm. just, I had also taken the role over from a male mm -hmm. and felt like I was always just trying to fill his shoes mm. and like do what he had done. Right. And in my current role, again, this is all over time, small changes, I, started to one be recognized for kind of who I was mm -hmm. like people started to notice like like my little quirks like I like to write this doesn't happen often but I like to write funny poems mm -hmm. and like I'll send them to people for their birthday and mm -hmm. like I sent an invitation for a company dinner and it was written in poetry mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. but people started to celebrate that mm -hmm. and be like this is great. Like you have these unique qualities. Right. Like you need to bring that wherever yeah. you go. Mm. And I started to believe it. Mm -hmm. And I think as a result, like I no longer, like I walk into a room with CEOs and I'm like, I'm your equal. Like yeah. just because you say something doesn't mm. mean it's true. Like right. I can say no to you mm -hmm. and I can hold my ground. Mm -hmm. And I think the experience of it's been reaffirming because they, if I hold my ground on something, they respect it. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just those little experiences built on top of yeah. each other. Just like compounding and help building your confidence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's one. Mm -hmm. I think it's like all these little steps mm -hmm. that have allowed me to step into like a professional role mm -hmm. where I feel like myself but I also like feel like I, I'm expert in what I do. Mm. Well, not quite, but I have an expertise and like I can own this. Like mm -hmm. this is my career and mm -hmm. I belong here. Yeah. What are, what, what are you like outside of work? What's going on outside I, of work? So I like to think I'm the same. <laughs> I try to be like who I am yeah. regardless of where I am. Mm -hmm. um, but who am I outside of work? Most of the time I am, like my main hobby is sports. Mm -hmm. And right now I do, I haven't raced triathlon mm -hmm. since 2019 because of the pandemic, but I do train for triathlons. Mm. And so that is a big, big part of my life. Mm -hmm. This morning I was up at 4.45 mm -hmm. riding my bike. Mm -hmm. It didn't start at 4.45, but soon after yeah. that, mm -hmm. I'll be going for a run tomorrow. So mm -hmm. I do a lot of that. Um, but then kind of beyond that, like a big part of my life and who I am is my family. I've talked mm -hmm. about this a lot. Mm -hmm. um, like, I just think they're the best. Mm -hmm. And then I have, I'm the sort of person that I am, I think an extroverted introvert. So I, I'm really comfortable being on my own. Mm -hmm. Like I'm very comfortable with alone time mm -hmm. and not doing anything mm -hmm. super exciting. So like I said, my grandmother is a better social life than I do. I'm not joking. <laughs> like I'm 
very happy to hang out mm -hmm. at my house and mm -hmm. like cook some food. Like I will bake cookies for myself and then eat them mm. all. Um, but like that's okay. And I have a, a group of like a small group of friends who I think at this point are lifelong friends. I've never been someone that has like mm -hmm. a crew mm -hmm. that I run around with. Mm. I've gathered friends from different areas of my life. Mm -hmm. um, and sadly, many of them have moved outside of New York. Mm -hmm. But I think kind of having those connections and my family and my boyfriend mm -hmm. who I've been with for three years who is also a cyclist and so we mm -hmm. have that in common which is great mm. like I'm very content in my life it's awesome. like I feel really I feel really good about it and it's funny I coming into this experience mm -hmm. one of my little insecurities is that like I don't have enough going on like mm. what will I talk about mm -hmm. like I even in normal life like I'll go home on a Friday night and yeah. I'll just be like well that's, <laughs> guess this is what I'm doing on a Friday I'll turn right, on the TV right. and but I think that's a lot of people and I think I that's know, a, I was gonna say yeah and there are a lot of people that I think um perform like being like the New York person right, and yeah. feel pressure to do that that was going to be my but, next question because, you know, you know, saying you saying that you're content in your life, and I think especially like being in New York where it is such a hustle culture and, and hustle in, in, in every aspect of it, which is like whether you're just grinding at work, grinding really hard, or you have like 10 different side hustles and yeah. you're always on to the next. Like, how do you, I guess, how do you manage that and like make sure you kind of like self preserve your values without being influenced by, you know, New York City, I guess. Oh, I think I'm like missing the FOMO gene mm. a little bit because I know like when I was, so I've been in New York for 11 years, I mm -hmm. think. And even when I was like younger in New York, when I was 23, 24, when kind of the, the stereotypical thing to do is to go out to bars and mm -hmm. stay out late. Mm -hmm. I hate staying out late. <laughs> um, I get, get tired. And I was focused on like waking up at five and getting mm. to the gym and doing like my training. And so I just, I've never had a pull for that. Mm. Um, I always, there have been times where I've like felt lonely perhaps mm -hmm. or felt like I wanted to be doing more mm. but I've always been able to I think because I was never part of like a, a group of girls or girls and boys mm -hmm. running around doing things like I didn't feel like I was left out because there was never like oh no my my team is doing things mm. without me mm -hmm. like that never happened because I didn't have a team yeah um and I've been able to like self-soothe and apparently mm -hmm. I'd been doing this since I was a child. I apparently like my mm. mom would set up play dates and I would climb into my little crib and like have alone time yeah, with like, mom. people <laughs> running around me. Yeah. And I would just like be alone in my right, crib. Right. And so I've kind of always been that way. And when I've had experiences of being lonely or like, oh God, like I'm not doing enough, like what should I be experiencing? I'm not taking advantage of New York. Mm. I've gone out for a walk. 
Yeah. And it's just like, okay, I'm in it. That's mm. good. Or when What's, Broadway was happening, I would like go see a show on yeah. my own and be like, I'm participating. Like, I'm good. Yeah. So it, I was going to ask, what was it, what's a self-talk look like? And is it just kind of saying like, I'm, I'm just happy. Like, you're just like, what does that look like? Well, it's, I mean, I, I think it's, I try not to overanalyze things too mm. much. And I've always known for myself, like, if I'm feeling down, mm -hmm. like, movement is really powerful for me. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I will just, I'll be like, just, just get up and go. Yeah. Like, it'll be fine. Like, I'll sometimes think to myself about a worst case scenario. So when I was dating, I would, and I think this is common for a lot of people, mm -hmm. you're like, oh, and particularly in online dating culture, mm -hmm. like, you can get ghosted yeah. and it's terrible. Mm -hmm. And whenever I liked someone, I would be nervous to text because I'm like, what if they don't text me back? And then mm -hmm. it'd be like, Liz, the worst thing that happens is you never hear from them again and you'll be fine. Yeah. You will be totally mm -hmm. fine. You've gone through a lot before and the next day came mm -hmm. and you got through the work day and it was totally mm -hmm. fine. Like mm -hmm. I've always been able to compartmentalize things. Um, I've also, like, over the past eight years, like, I'm a big fan of therapy. Mm. I think it is a powerful tool for everyone, regardless of how wonderful you view, like, you view your life to be. Yeah. I think it is just, like, good self-care mm -hmm. to, like, be able to go talk about it. And, like, that's where I go and air my, like, these are my, like, doom and despair thoughts. Mm -hmm. But then I can like intellectually, like I know I can get through it. So mm -hmm. I'm able to talk my way through it. Yeah. And like the sun comes up tomorrow. Right. And like, again, I think about, and I'll get this wrong, but there's like the stool theory. So if you have your three pillars, your three kind of stool right. seats. And one's knocked out. Yeah, yeah. like, mm -hmm. so you have to just think about your, your stool pillars. And I've often gone back to that in harder times where it's like, okay, I've, and I don't, everyone can have their own mm. stool pillars and mm -hmm. that's not what they're called on stools, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah. But it's like, I have my family. Yeah. I have a job mm -hmm. and I have a place to live and yeah. food to eat. Like. Mm -hmm. I'm good. Yeah. Like I will be okay. Totally. So I feel like, you know, it really takes experience to like know that. And I was just talking to my girlfriends the other night and saying like, when I broke up with my ex, like, you know, it's, it's that feeling of like, he's everything. Like, what will I do without him? And then mm -hmm. when we broke up, it was like these, like, I, in, in my mind, it was pillars. Like, I was like, all these pillars are still holding me up. I'm, I still exist as a person, even without this one aspect of my life. There's like 10, 20, hundreds of yeah. thousands of pillars there. Um, so what, what motivates you now in life? Like, you know, whether, whatever your vision might be for your life or for yourself, like what motivates you? <sighs> what motivates me? <laughs> I mean, I want to... I want to, I am proud of myself, but mm -hmm. I always want to, I, like, I want to feel proud of myself moving forward. And like, what does that mean? So mm -hmm. for me, it's, am I showing up in a way that respects me and like respects mm -hmm. other people? So when I come to work, um, and sometimes this, I get in my way because I have like a very high standard for myself, mm -hmm. but I'm like, did I show up and did I like, 
do the best that I could today. Mm -hmm. Whatever 100% is today, mm -hmm. did I give it? Mm -hmm. And like, did I bring a smile to someone's face? Did I have a good interaction? Like, that's really important. So that motivates me to like to show up and constantly like try and, and add something, add value in some way, shape or form. Um, same thing with athletics. So I have like my, my professional goals. And to be honest, I'm not the sort of person that's, I'm not sitting here being like, and here's my five-year plan. Mm -hmm. I know where I want to be. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure. Mm -hmm. I know that I want to develop better skills around kind of creating strategy. Mm -hmm. I know that I want to manage a team mm -hmm. at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are things that I think about developing those skills. Mm -hmm. And if over time I, I know I'm working towards those, I feel good about it. From an athletic standpoint, it's the same sort of thing. Like, am mm -hmm. I showing up every day, mm -hmm. giving my all, like mm -hmm. not giving up on the last hard, effort I have in a workout, mm -hmm. which is very easy to do because I'm doing it alone. <laughs> so it's mm -hmm. always like, am I living up to my standard mm -hmm. for myself? So um, how do you balance that? Because you said, I have high standards for myself, but like, like, how does that work out when you don't meet them? <laughs> uh, it's challenging. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I... This is another wonderful thing about therapy. <laughs> I'm reminded that I'm human mm. and it's okay. Mm -hmm. And my standard is higher for myself mm -hmm. than anyone else's standard for me. Yeah. So odds are, if I am coming even close to what I want for myself, mm -hmm. like I'm doing okay. Mm. And I think it's often helpful for me. So I sometimes struggle to take compliments mm -hmm. that I don't feel are earned. Mm. And I'll, tell my parents coming up again I'll tell my parents something and they'll be like that's amazing mm. great job like congratulations I'm like oh well I could have done this better this better this better this better mm -hmm. they're like no you did amazing mm -hmm. like good job for recognizing areas to improve mm -hmm. but put that aside mm -hmm. and like celebrate you mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because look at what you've accomplished mm -hmm. and it's still a challenge for me to fully buy into that, mm. but it's something I'm getting better at. Yeah. And just being like, oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, I, I did that. And, right. and it is something, yeah. even though I always see the areas that, that could be improved. Right. I think it's just a constant balance of like, and an understanding that. Yeah, everything can always probably be a little bit better. You can always improve certain things mm -hmm. while still having a healthy appreciation and value for like what I have accomplished. Mm -hmm. So for example, like on earlier this week, I had a bike workout mm -hmm. where I had six, five minute like efforts, mm -hmm. which was hard. Mm -hmm. I was alone in my apartment doing mm -hmm. it. And I was like, maybe I'll just do four. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No one would know. I mean, my coach would know, but mm -hmm. I was like, he's in Maine. He mm -hmm. won't be able to talk to me about it. And then I got to the fourth one. I was like, this is brutal. I'm like suffering. I'm not doing this well. But then it was time to do the fifth one. And I just did it. Mm -hmm. And I finished the fifth one. And I was like, wait, good job. I literally said out loud, good job, Liz. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay, we're going to do one more. We're mm -hmm. going to finish it. And after I finished the last one, I was like, way to be tough. Mm -hmm. Like you got through it. Like mm -hmm. this is hard. 
but you can do these things. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's, balance. it's a balance. Yeah, constant constant balance of uh, navigating that. Yeah. Because you know, uh, it it really just goes back to I think like living in New York. It's 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 a blessing and a curse because you know anyone who comes to New York, everyone says it. Or if you live here, there's just an energy here about yeah. it. And some of that, a lot of that is just the people and the drive and the motivation. A lot of it's inspiring. And then another part is a lot of burnout. And so, yeah, it's just hard to constantly have to say like, you know what, I'm doing enough or like this is enough or, but yeah. I'm sure on the other side of things, like that high standard that you have for your, yourself has also propelled you to also perform and succeed in, uh, oh, you know, yeah. in a material or career, uh, career sense, you know, so. Oh, totally. I would not be where I am without this kind of drive to be better and mm -hmm. holding myself to a high standard. And I think that was instilled in me very young. Mm -hmm. And I've also, I think part of it, I, like I said, sports are like very present in my life and mm -hmm. my athletics. I've always done sports where like, a time is involved. So mm -hmm. swimming, rowing, even you have right. your score on the rowing machine, mm -hmm. and cycling or, or running, like you know what pace you're going. Mm -hmm. And so I've always had markers to improve. Mm -hmm. And so that has been a real driver. And I think that translates to my professional life where mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, I'm going to like set a little goal. I have an expectation of how I want to perform in this presentation yeah. or how I want to show up in the strategy meeting. Mm -hmm. And like, if I don't hit it, like, okay, mm -hmm. but we're going to do a better next time. Like, yeah. let's figure out the, the plan to get there mm -hmm. and, and set those little goals. Yeah. That's actually something I've been thinking a lot about recently because I've just been thinking like in America, at least like when you're in school, like there's always a metric of how well you're doing, whether it's your grade or you're graduating and going to a new school. And, you know, even at work, there's like promotions and, you know, these key performance um, yeah. indicators, <laughs> KPIs as they call them, um, that you have to hit. But it's like, you know, I feel like in some ways we're like trained to want those kinds of metrics and like definitive, like I'm, am I doing well, yes or no? But like in life, like how do we know we're doing well? Like how do we know we're progressing? And obviously that's like, you know. It's, it's very existential. Yeah. <laughs> this is me. I'm an overthinker. Yeah. So I'm like, what does it mean to like, and, we, and I think that's where some of the um, anxiety that, that's rampant in, you know, New York and just like I think in Western culture because we don't have those indicators anymore. I think a lot of it is yeah. all, similar to what you're saying right now, which is like, you kind of give them to yourself. Like yeah. I'm going to go do this on the bike today. Or like, here's what I'm trying to do at work. Um, anyways, I've just been thinking about that. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, I yeah. think it's a really good point. And mm -hmm. like, yeah. How do you measure a successful life? Yeah. What is a successful exactly, life? Yeah. I think, so I'm someone that believes very firmly in different types of intelligence. Mm -hmm. Like there are people that are book smart and mm -hmm. like that's, oh, like they're smart. Yeah. But there are like many different types of smart. Mm. And I think there are like many different types of success. Totally. And within a life, like there are pockets of success mm. and then there are areas of improvement and like, like areas for a deep improvement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, so individual yeah. but it's mm -hmm. an interesting <laughs> thought experiment i'm 100 percent gonna leave this being like 
<laughs> what is success for me? What are my life KPIs? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. really. I, gosh, I know someone actually does that. And oh, I really? guess that's what, like, I guess I do that too, mm -hmm. not formally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it is really interesting to think, like, what is what is success mm -hmm. like and ultimately I, th I think for me it's this feeling of contentment mm. and also continuing to show up for myself yeah. I think that's when I am most successful I am kind of having my own back mm. speaking up for what I want mm -hmm. and ultimately at the end of the day if I speak up for what I want and I get a no or something doesn't go my way, I at least like had my own back. Mm. So you, you mentioned earlier uh, your breakup mm -hmm. from a, an ex. Mm -hmm. I, everyone goes through breakups. Mm -hmm. The boyfriend that went to medical school, my mm -hmm. reason for coming to New York, he and I broke up and I actually took a year off of dating mm. after that. And my impetus was I have to like know how to be with myself, mm -hmm. feel really good about myself, yeah. mm -hmm. understand what I need, what I want, etc. Before I like touch mm. being in a relationship with someone else, mm. and I'm still a process. But I think that was a huge driver in kind of my my ability to understand that idea of success mm. and like and satisfaction in my own life. Mm -hmm. And it's being my own kind of self-advocate and yeah. this idea of like, I don't have that FOMO gene. Like, yeah. I don't worry as much about what other people are doing. I still struggle with like, oh, what do people think about me? Sure. But I think everyone does. Mm -hmm. And it's ultimately, I think, the more you realize that what you think about yourself is so much more important yes. than what anyone else thinks about you. Yeah. Like, you're going to be good. Totally. You know, it's funny because I had a career, I had a career coach too, and he, he was also big on student athletes. And he was just saying like, this is like, you're one of like your biggest assets, you know? And, um, one thing I learned going through that was, um, cause he would always tell me, he's like, you're so smart, but I'm like, I'm just like, in my, I'm, I didn't feel it. I didn't yeah. believe it. And I got to a point where I realized I'm like, you know what, there's not enough, like, external affirmation for me to believe it like it's not going to matter until like i actually believe it yeah. and as someone who does struggle with what does this person think about me i realized too like it in the same way that it doesn't matter if someone else thinks i'm smart it's not going to matter if someone else thinks poorly of me it's only going to matter like what i think of me but with the balance because I think if you really truly didn't care about what anyone thought about you, I think is also an issue. Like you need the right voices in your life to yeah. kind of say, mm, maybe pivot or like think about this for yourself or, yeah. you know. Become so. potentially a narcissist yeah. if you're just like, I'm the best. <laughs> yeah. and if you and I think I'm not, things. you're crazy. <laughs> so looking back at, you know, I mean, you're obviously still very young. I mean, that's relative, I guess. But I mean, you know, we, we're, we're young. We still have so much ahead of us. But like looking back on your life, and I also don't know how old you are, but looking back on your life, um, what would you tell your younger self? Um, well, I'm 34. I'm very happy to share, uh, which I don't feel 34, mm. but, you know, that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah, I'm 33. I don't know what that's supposed to feel like yeah, either. <laughs> it's, again, I don't think it's supposed to feel like anything. Yeah. Just feel you. Mm -hmm. um, what would I tell my younger self? I would say... Um, 
it's okay to be authentically you mm. and don't worry about what other people think. I like when I'm asked to talk to my younger self, mm. I transport myself back to high school. Mm. High school is hard for a lot of people, yeah. but I really feel like I was hiding who I was. I was so nervous about what people would think with me. I had very few kind of social bonds. Mm. Um, outside of my athletics. I've always had confidence in athletics, but I, I wish I could, and it's not even what I would say to my younger self, it's how I would coach my younger self and just being like, you're great. Mm. Like you have what you need. Mm. And if you show people who you are, mm -hmm. the right people will come to yes. you. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It could be one person mm -hmm. and like, that's enough. Mm -hmm. So I think, and it's, I think it's just transformational, like yes. showing up as who you are, being authentic, mm -hmm. like you will attract the things that you need yeah. to continue to feel good about yourself. So I love that. And it ultimately aligns with you because that's who you are. So yeah. Yeah. Love yeah. That. So that's high school Liz and oh, any younger oh, Liz. High school. But I mean yeah. she tried so hard. She tried so <laughs> hard. But luckily we got through. Yes. Awesome. Well that's a great place to end. Thank you so much. This yeah. was so good. How do you feel? feel good <laughs> oh my god that was great yeah, yeah you are is... truly a great speaker like oh. just as eloquent as i remember you being <laughs> you're incredibly kind uh, i feel like um will ferrell from whatever movie where he was like i blacked out like oh. what happened <laughs> so